Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tim Lacombe filling in for Gordon today and doing an admirable job, might I add. Want to remind you, come and watch Future Stars of PGA Tour teed up at Oak Ridge Country Club in Farmington, June 27th through the 30th. Don't wait till the last minute to purchase your tickets. Buy them online now at utahchampionship.com. Tim, you are fresh out of the college basketball world where you were an assistant at BYU for a long time and, of course, uh, uh, coach down at Utah as well. Uh, how many years in college basketball do you have? Almost 30, right? Uh, actually, in college basketball, 16. Okay. Yeah, 23 total. I coached high school here in the state as well. Uh, what do you think about the story today? And I, I, I want to get your thoughts on kind of the overall what's happened with college basketball with this uh, investigation and uh, and what's going on with the FBI and all that. But the news today, Dennis Stott of CBS Sports reporting that at least six Division One men's basketball programs will receive notices of allegations for level one violations from the NCAA by this summer stemming from this uh, federal government's recent investigation. Uh, According to Stan Wilcox, NCAA Vice President for Regulatory Affairs, two high-profile programs will receive notices of allegations by early July. So we're starting to see now the NCAA react in the aftermath of what I thought would go a lot further than it ended up going with this NCAA uh, investigation involving the shoe companies. But what, I mean... Uh, I, I guess there are a number of different ways to go about this, but what kind of impact on college basketball and the way things are done has this ha- has this investigation had, if any? I don't know to what extent. I would imagine it, you know, is probably something where, uh, you know, every time there's a rule made, there's they, people figure out ways to get around it and make you know get a loophole and. Um, I think probably more than anything, or schools and coaches are a little bit more uh, leery of activity that would cause issues. Um, But to think that all of a sudden it's just all zipped up and clean and everything is, is, you know, a fantasy world. Um, Maybe just not as uh, out there, you know, as explicit going on as things were. Uh, But uh, I'm glad that there's at least this step being taken the notice for al- of allegations doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be penalties right, right um you know there were notice of allegations filed against north carolina with their academic fraud and you know nothing happened what a joke that was yeah unbelievable that no- i mean you're there to not to get sidetracked but it, it is a university they do have to take classes like shouldn't that be amongst the most egregious behavior when you're Making uh, you, the the process itself of going to school fraudulent that that was so offensive to me. I would I can't believe nothing really came of yeah, that. One would one would think that right. They they love to talk about student athletes right and, and everything. And That's then, the idea right. Um, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. Um, I think that they're. I mean, if you're just kind of looking at things, obviously Arizona has been front and center from the very beginning, and I would imagine. They're one of the high-profile schools, but really all this stuff right now is just stuff, and we'll see if there's actually any kind of penalties that mean anything. I'm kind of conflicted on this this whole thing. I love amateur sports, and I've, I'm of the opinion that I don't think that college sports could exist without amateurism. Well, for one, Title IX makes it all sorts of complicated because how do you pay one sport differently than than the other? It's actually against the law. 
So I, I don't – and plus, universities are not in the business of running professional sports franchises, regardless of what people out there will say about the, the money and all that sort of thing. And so if all of a sudden amateur went, amateurism went away, I think college sports would go away, or at least the big ones. And that I, I don't want to see. And I don't think – I actually don't think anybody wants to see that out there. I mean, because if it's the connection to the university that makes people passionate about the sport, not that the level of play isn't terrific and it's not fun to watch and those sorts of things, but why does um, BYU basketball draw you know seventeen thousand fans a game and uh, single A baseball in North Dakota draw five hundred? Because those baseball players are probably a lot closer to the major leagues from a skill level standpoint than, say, college basketball is to the NBA. But pe- people are passionate about the connection to the university. It makes it much more personal. And I love that about college sports. But the problem is, is if you outlaw something, it creates a black market automatically. Right. I mean, look back at the uh, history of prohibition in this country and you can find out exactly what we're talking about. Right. So I'm a little conflicted on it. I want to see it continue. I want to see amateurism exist. But I realize that what that creates is this weird underbelly culture of mm, lying, uh, for lack of a better word. Plus, they fraud and breaking all sorts of really good laws out there, like wire fraud and all those sorts of things. So I'm uh, on this topic. I thought. I thought if we saw some some big names go to jail, maybe that would be something that would actually clean the whole process up. Because if your penalty is something other than like a show cause penalty with the NCAA and you're actually risking your personal freedom by breaking the rules, maybe people would think twice about it. But and that's just my soapbox. And I don't think that has really been accomplished throughout all this process. I would I would think that now it's just going to go on business as usual. Yeah, that, that would be my guess as well. I think that uh, the real telling thing will be are these are these uh, universities and in particular the higher level more recognized are they going to be actually punished um, from taking part in postseason play you know will they go there because at the end of the day the NCAA as much as we want to talk about it being amateurism it is a humongous thriving business you know you just watch the bowl championship series and all of the ad time that's sold and, you know, the access. It is it, the Final Four, March Madness. It's all about making money. And um, so will they punish these teams that historically have been really, really good? Um, that's what's, what's remaining to be seen. But uh, we are certainly moving toward a model, and, and I understand what you're saying about, you know, not wanting to pay these players. But in effect, with cost of attendance – um, you know, not every program gets a co- get, gets cost of attendance. Um, there's there's fractions of that. You know, football gets imagine everything, basketball gets everything, and then it kind of weeds off from there. How do they get around Title Nine with that? Uh, I don't really know, but it, it, it I mean that's the way it's done. So uh, it's it's pretty. They're finding a way. Yeah, they're finding a way. Yeah. Well, and, and that's maybe a step in the right direction, but I I mean. It'll be interesting to see where it goes because fundamentally, you know, people who look at it and say, you know, the the players are participating in the process and not getting compensated enough, whether you believe it or not. I mean, conceptually, there's a point to be made there. I just don't know. I I think student athletes are compensated. I I value education. I think that you can give yourself a leg up in life. And I think that the exposure you get, if, if you are one of those few NBA guys. Very few. Very few. 
uh, but the one that the the guys that everybody apparently is worried about because they're the ones getting jobbed, right? Because they're the ones with all this value. I I don't think you can put a financial price on the exposure that that college basketball actually gives you. So I I do I'm in the camp where I think you are benefiting from playing college sports whether you release, uh, realize it or not. For example, how much bigger is Zion Williamson's shoe contract going to be after his year at Duke? Right. He probably made himself 20 million bucks. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden you go, "Oh wait, he was kind of compensated for all of that." exposure but it seems to me like we're really worried about we're really worried about jimmer jimmer who was on the right on the show earlier that guy generated millions for byu you can't argue with that uh, millions for college basketball and maybe he is the the one person that we should feel bad for that didn't get compensated enough but even he parlayed him parlayed himself into a lottery pick you know so i i I side with amateurism more often than not. Gordon and I argue about this all the well, time. Well, and I, I, I actually love the thought of it, um, but in the reality, there it really is. At least at the highest level, the, the amateurism is just a, a word. You know what I mean? There's so many people getting paid, like you talked about under the table, bootleg, whatever you want to call it. Um, that it's it just has created all sorts of issues. I think it's interesting, too, the whole concept of likenesses now. They're talking about likenesses and, you know, paying players for their, you know, their jerseys. So, I mean, I think we're just – everything is moving toward the idea that maybe the highest level guys will be like, you know, R.J. Hampton that just from Texas that just decided he's going to go play overseas for a year and bypass school and just go get paid. You know, it, it will be very interesting to see how this – all kind of funnels out, and then what is the, you know, is it business as usual from there, or is there actually some real change? See, I don't like the the likeness idea. I know that's everybody's favorite solution. Well, it's not equitable. I mean, well, I just I, I think people don't understand the the unintended consequences. Of something I, I like. What if, um, you know, Tim Lacombe Nissan dealer is a big BYU supporter. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you get wind that they're going after a four-star recruit or, you know, uh, somebody that could – a program changer. You know, what at that point would be to stop you from going to that – That is just a bidding war, right? Yeah, going to that recruit and said, hey, I'm going to give you – I'm going to give you 500 grand and you're going to be my new spokesperson. Zion Williamson. Right. To R.J. Barrett. Uh, Toyota. Yeah, <laughs> and so all of a sudden, and you as the booster, you don't you don't really care about the advertising. I mean, maybe you get a little benefit of that on the side. It doesn't make that big of a difference to you. You just wanted to play at BYU, but all of a sudden now you're just compensating for a likeness. And so what you're really doing though is paying for the player to go to the university. Yeah, the real issue is, you know, moving toward and actually disclosing all that stuff would at least bring all of the dark stuff into light but they'll still That's be true but there still will be even at that point now it'll be easier justified oh they're getting paid anyway let's just right do something more outside the guidelines and that that's the bottom line is people always find a way to sweeten the deal which is why i'm in favor of the nba players association getting rid of the one and done thing let them go pro yeah i agree just I, let them go i pro. agree 100 i actually believe it may be in terms of the truest sense of what we all love about college sports, it actually may bring that at least a little, you know, the fact they don't have to go play college for a year and the the very highest of, of the elite players can go, maybe that cleans it up even a little bit. Curtails some of that. Right. Well, yeah. right. 
because and, and if you think about it, I mean, what is the one and done players? I mean, flash in the pan, fun to watch for a little bit, but what are they really adding to college basketball? I mean, it's like what it's a rental. It is a rental. Yeah. But I mean, you, you, me, the college basketball fan, I'm still going to love college basketball, whether Zion Williamson plays or not. Right. Yeah. So that's that's all the stuff that I think is hanging over uh, all of these procedures that are going on. And, and we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Well, it, it may come to a stop, which I, I find kind of disappointing. But then again, I wanted the salacious details. But it looks like this investigation is going to halt with a couple of assistants uh, paying the price, a couple of shoe execs who went too far uh, paying the price, and that's going to be about it. A runner named my Christian Dawkins. My guess Dawkins. is they'll, they'll come down on some uh, – they'll, they'll have to do something with, you know, a, a bigger name would be my guess. And, you know, I would think that with all of the publicity around Arizona – not once, not twice, but a couple times. Um, that would be my odds-on favorite to probably get hammered the the hardest. Plus, when was Arizona last in the Final Four? Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. Although our boy, uh, our boy Pace Bandy and his son's going to Arizona yeah. next year. And and I'm, I'm going to tell you legit, what, right? That dude is good. Like really, really good. I mean, you want to talk about a Jimmer type guy with a little more pop in his game? He, he's going to be really, really good next How year. How tall is he? Uh, six three, six four. Right. Have I been hearing about him since he was six, just because of our proximity to Pace, or has people been real interested in him for that no, many years? Yeah, he's. I I remember watching him at Utah camps back in the day when I was there, early early on, and you'd just walk in the gym and he was just that much better than everybody else. But he's even raised the level. Like he'll just go up and dunk on somebody, you know, without any any issue at all he's going to be a really really good player all right so here's my last question for you and uh, before we leave this this topic behind because i've been bringing this up for years now and there's probably no way to do this but is there any way to curtail the aau influence in amateur basketball well they tried that so they they changed the whole calendar um this year and the aau weekends and events have been cut way back and they're actually opening up more weekends with high school teams so that the high school teams actually have as much or more of a presence than the AAU uh, circuit. So it used to be where you'd go out the, basically the entire month of July, three weekends or 21 days, and it would all be AAU. But the, player, the coaches are actually able to go out this month to team camps and watch high school, watch them play with their high school team. And it's really the only open times that they – and then they also peeled back um, – they, they're – They've made kind of a list of the top whatever hundred elite players, and they're inviting them to regional camps. So the coaches are going to go watch them play in these regional camps. So I think that's the attempt to take some of the power out of these AAU guys. Because the the AAU is the wild west. It's awful. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, at least there's some structure in high school basketball, and you have actual teachers in place as opposed to. Uh, businessmen, I mean, mercenaries, the guys that are out there trying to make a buck off all this. Exactly. And I actually have a really good friend who who uh, is a really successful business guy. He went out to an AAU event with us, uh, with Coach and I, and watched. And he came up to me after his first like couple hours there, and we went out to get something to eat. And he said, man, this is like, you can just see, you know, what's going on here. This is a, this is like child labor laws. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, these guys have... Okay, I got three guys. What are you going to give me for them? I mean, and he could see it just uh, you know his first time out there. So it's definitely something that 
I think they're they're with these moves they're making in this offseason recruiting, they're actually trying to address the AAU influence. Well, that's a good thing. But I don't know if it'll ever again will ever completely rid it. Will the shoe companies stop having at the end of the day, follow the money, you know, and money talks. And that's thus we're in the situation that we are now. Yep. It's all about the money. That's right. All right, uh, coming up right around the corner, we'll continue our preview for the opponents for the major college football teams around here. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Josh Walfish. He covers UMass for the Daily Hampshire Gazette. We'll get to that straight ahead. It's the big show. Tim McComb in for Gordon Monson, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. As I'm pacing the pews in a church corridor And I can't help but to hear No, I can't help but to hear In exchanging of words What a beautiful Big show, 97.5, 1280 The Zone Welcome on back, Tim Lacombe filling in for Gordon today Want to remind you to join us uh, coming up uh, tomorrow at the warehouse from 3 to 6, 1967 South, 300 West Prices so low, it will blow your mind It is The Warehouse uh, coming up here in a moment, we're going to preview the UMass Minutemen with Josh Walfish. He covers UMass for the Daily Hampshire Gazette. Uh, we'll ask him uh, what the Minutemen are bringing to the table on the football field this year. Uh, you know, you're a basketball coach down there at BYU, but how uh, how into the football did you get? Do you even have time to go over to those games? We we went to most games early, um, used it as a recruit, you know, had recruits in town and, and went over and watched the games. But as the season went on and, you know, we started up kind of full tilt, just would kind of make it as we could. But, um, yeah, it was we, – we would go and you kind of use it as a recruiting uh, opportunity. I would imagine it's it's not a bad one either given the environment at most BYU football games. Most uh, basketball recruits you bring there probably pretty – Yeah, it was fun. We got on the field before and, you know, see and, you know – get them in the experience and it, it is impressive um you know to have a full stadium especially those games early uh those are the ones the, the non-conference games well non-conference <laughs> uh yeah well uh, the the high, higher level games that they play early in the season at home yeah those are probably a little bit how much do let me ask you this because because i get in this argument with pk all the time okay so pk an arizona state guy and i think that that arizona state is a perpetual underachiever and it, it bugs me because you should be able to recruit to a party school in Phoenix. Have you ever that, been to – you've been to a game there. Uh, no, I haven't oh, actually. It's awesome. Is it really? Yeah, it's really cool. But he always argues that it's because nobody cares. Nobody cares about Arizona but that's State a, that's athletics. that's a weak excuse, or right? Whatever. That's, what, that's exactly what I say. And he says the recruits these days, they want the atmosphere. They want to be the celebrity. They want the fans that, that care. How, how big of a tool is that? Because that's one thing BYU has going for it. I mean, we can talk about the – the, the problems or, or the challenges in recruiting for BYU, but that isn't one of them. No. I mean, the The games, interest, the excitement. The, all there, yeah. big time. They're in. There's no doubt about it. Is that a big recruiting tool? It is. It's, it's a double-edged sword. Obviously, everybody cares, and so if things don't go right, you hear more from those that care and aren't happy. Um, but you would certainly want to start from a position of having a whole bunch of people care and having people at the games because that is a – this one thing we used in basketball. We up until I think last year, we were the number one attended university in the Western United States. Um, it was us, Arizona. So um, that's something we talked about all the time, and and that's something players want to play in front of people. 
They want that spotlight, that celebrity. For sure. That comes with it. And, and yeah, BYU's going, has that going. In fact, isn't the Marriott Center still the biggest arena west of the Mississippi? Or it was at one point, a college basketball arena? It's got to be pretty close. Yeah, it's not. I think it is. And maybe after the Reno, maybe that's not uh, it's entirely still true. 20, 19. It's still giant. It's huge. It is absolutely huge. Yeah, and the seats, the way they put everything in there, those blue seats are comfortable. I mean, there's more space. You know, it used to be where you're kind of cramped in there, but they did a great job, and it's it's an awesome place. I've had more, you know, people tell me from other teams that I've stayed in touch with through the years that it was honestly one of the highlights of their college career was being able to play in front of that many people. I, I'm trying to remember, because Gordon and I did the math on this years ago when BYU went to the West Coast Conference, but if you added up the capacity of all the gyms outside of Gonzaga, it would fit in the Marriott Center. Absolutely, and I, I was actually laughing with uh, – Perkins this year from Gonzaga because our student section alone, usually about 6,000, is as big as the kennel. Just our student section. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a big arena. But I would think that would be a huge recruiting tool. But I, I still don't buy into PK's garbage like Arizona State can't be they good because nobody cares. Yeah. Come on, when I was coming out of high school, if you would have said, hey, how would you like to go to Arizona State Why for did, free? And have you, have you seen the lovely ladies down here in Tempe? I mean, that's really, isn't that the marketing or the university's job to get people to care, you know? We, one of the cooler environments I ever played when was back at Virginia Tech for basketball. That was actually really cool. They've, uh, they've got passion out there. Yeah, and, and it's kind of an old school arena, but it was packed. And it was fun. I mean, so if if there's people out there that care, you certainly could get people in Phoenix with a way bigger population to care. Yeah, there's certainly not a whole lot going on in Blacksburg. So no, uh, you, you might as cool well go see town, a, though. Go see a basketball game yeah. uh, out there. Uh, yeah, I, I liked it that uh, that you guys played Virginia Tech twice. You played them once here. We uh, actually ended up Spartan playing them three because we played them in the NIT. Oh right. So we played them Energy Solutions at the time. I came. Uh, I came to your your game when you played him here. Yep. And Eric Green was on that that uh-huh. Virginia Tech team, and uh, <laughs> we. I was sitting with like all the Virginia Tech alumni group, or whatever. And the Hokies decided to play a zone against you for the first portion of the game. And next thing you know, BYU's up twenty, and then twenty five, and then everybody we're sitting with is like, "Oh, this is this is terrific." You guys just steamrolled yeah, the did. Hokies that we day. We did. Yeah, this place, this particular building here, Vivint now, was really good to us. I think in my time here, we lost one game in here uh, in all the years. We played at least one game per season up here in Vivint. We lost to uh, Michigan State. I remember that. I was at that game. Which was a great game. And they were a great team that year, too. That was the one time in my career I interviewed Tom Izzo. That was kind of cool. We beat Arizona. We beat Oregon, Virginia Tech. I mean, we had a pretty good run up here. I know when they were zoning TJ, or uh, I guess it was Tyler Hawes at the time, I was thinking to myself, you know, that's not. He just found the middle of the zone. It's like you didn't watch a whole lot of film on BYU before you came up with this game plan, did you? Speaking of Tyler Hawes, we played golf yesterday in a scramble. We both work for the same company now. And uh, they had a little hoop set up. You know, they have those little games that keep you in a slow scramble. Yeah, yeah. So they had a hoop set up and. Uh, had everybody in the foursome shoot against each other. I beat him. No way. Yeah. No big deal. I went in and out. I sent a picture. I, I went right from the course to in and out, and I took a picture of my in and out little gift card I sent won. Sent it right to him? Sent it right to him. So if you're out there, Ty, what do you think, buddy? He needs to brush up on his shooting, apparently. 
No, come on. I'm I'm elite. That's true. I, I don't mean to take away from what you've got going there. <laughs> I'm not elite. I know just... I'd be telling everybody on the radio if I beat Tyler Hawes in a uh, in a shooting contest as well. I wouldn't let a, him live that down not for Tyler, a second. I'm going to beat Tyler in shooting. I'm going to beat Jimmer in golf. All right. Uh, joining us now, let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. He covers UMass for the Daily Hampshire Gazette as we preview the upcoming football season. Josh Walfish joins us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Josh, thank you very much for a few minutes. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, we are not doing too bad. Of course, uh, UMass has another game uh, with BYU coming up, uh, uh, let's see, the 23rd of November back there in Massachusetts. Tell us a little bit about the Minutemen that are returning this year. Well, the running joke I have is that you guys probably know as much about UMass football this coming season as as I do because new head coach, new new coaching staff entirely, and pretty much a brand new roster from what the, the Cougars saw last November at Gillette. Uh, you know, UMass has to replace its entire back uh, backfield, starting with losing both senior quarterbacks from last year, Andrew Ford and Ross Comis. They lost all three running backs that played snaps for them last year. Uh, Marquise Young graduated. Ball Lee transferred out and transferred back in, and his status is still kind of up in the air whether or not he's eligible for the fall. And then Jordan Fredericks had to medically retire from football. So there's a lot of question marks on the offensive side. On the defensive side, same thing. They do return cornerback Isaiah Rogers, who is someone that has slowly started to gain a little bit of uh, traction in the NFL draft community heading into to next season. But otherwise, all their leading tacklers are gone. They have to replace three starters on, on the secondary. Uh, so there are a lot of, a lot of questions uh, about the men-man uh, after the spring. And Walt Bell, the new coach, uh, rightly so, kept a lot of things close to the vest uh, during the spring. And even though we had access to practice to kind of watch them, there really weren't many questions answered outside of the fact that UMass is going to really try to speed up the pace offensively. They're going to really try to almost double the pace they had uh, last season. And last season, they still were a, a pretty quick offense under Mark Whipple. Uh, BYU and UMass played last year. Uh, we talked about that. Um, close game at halftime. BYU is up uh, just... Uh, four points, I think, at the half, and then uh, pulled away uh, in the third quarter. Um, talk about, uh, from what you know, the strengths, uh, the things that you can look for as strengths uh, going into the season. Well, I think that the strength that UMass has is going to start on the offensive line. Uh, they return the inter- the the um, they return both uh, starting tackles, which is key. They have a lot of experience on the in on the inside uh, of that offensive line in terms of the game starts, not necessarily the starts, but UMass was, was rolling seven, eight offensive linemen deep uh, at most of last season. So, so a lot of those depth guys are, are back as well in the interior offensive line. So they, they're going to have a, an experienced offensive line. And then the receiving core is, is so young but so talented. This is something that last year Andy Isabella – Wife was still gained a lot of attention for the numbers he was putting up, but you look at some of the, the younger guys that were coming up behind him, a, a guy like Zach Simon in his freshman season, Sam Emelis was a freshman last year. Those two really took a step forward at the end of last season once they started to kind of get more comfortable in the offense and 
really took a lot of pressure off of Andy Isabella. And now those are the two, two of the guys are really going to kind of expected to, to step up along with Sadiq Palmer, who is the number two receiver last year, who's now their top receiver as a senior. Uh, very different style of wide receiver to what Andy Isabella was last year. I don't know if UMass necessarily has that type of receiver on the roster this year. Uh, the closest thing got is junior college transfer Cam Roberson, uh, who's kind of a, a smaller, speedy guy. But it, 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 those those two position groups, offensive line and wide receiver, are definitely the, the big strength uh, of this UMass team this year. Josh, we know that UMass is a bit more of a basketball school. What are they trying to accomplish as a football program, and do they get the resources necessary to, to move the program forward? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, they really thought that Mark Whipple was going to be able to kind of turn the tide for this football program when they brought him back uh, now five years ago before the, the 2014 season. Uh, really, the unfortunate part for UMass football was they got off to a very bad start to their FBS uh, career under Charlie Molnar, uh, the former Notre Dame offensive coordinator, and those two seasons really set the program back significantly. And they really tried to be, built, uh, be kind of digging out of that hole ever since. And Mark Whipple did a fantastic job bringing the program to a point where last season was supposed to be the year that they broke through and they were going to be 6-6 six and six at least and maybe even get to a bowl game if a bowl was needing a, a team because UMass doesn't have – any primary or secondary uh, bowl agreements with any of the bowls uh, yet. So that was the hope, and then things kind of went sideways for them. And the one thing you're seeing now is the investment. Uh, they're doing some major renovations to the stadium ahead of this year, part of a long-term plan that the school has to really improve the fan experience and steam experience for everybody. Uh, they're going to build new turf practice fields uh, next to the stadium, and they're going to uh, <clears throat> put up a practice bubble as well so that they can practice indoors during the, the, the winter. That's something they haven't had. So there's a lot more investment in the program now, and there's a lot more excitement in the program now. Walt Bell has done a great job at reigniting the passion of this fan base by being able to sell hope in a very tangible manner. He's already being very aggressive on the recruiting trail. He's already being very aggressive in terms of changing the culture within the program. So there's more investment, and I think more importantly, there's now a vision that everyone can believe in from the head coach down to the people in the nosebleeds at the top of the, uh, at the bleachers. And that's something that really hasn't been the case at UMass since the 2006 team that went to the national uh, championship game at the what was then Division One AA level, now the, the FCS level. So uh, with a new coach, kind of a, a new mindset, you talked a little bit about the offense and the defense. I'm a big special teams guy. Uh, any idea what the, the special teams looks like? They got a kicker, they got a punter. I mean, this game is five months out. You know, let's talk, let's get deep into this thing. Yeah, I, I, it, it's funny because BYU is in a probably the most enviable position of having 11 full games of tape to watch on this UMass team before they actually play. Uh, 
you know, I've been talking to, to some of the coaches that UMass is playing, and, you know, they all kind of say that same thing of the way that you play this team in the season, maybe it's a bit, bit more of an advantage because you know kind of what to expect from them. And uh, when I look at the, the special teams, that's always been the Achilles heel for UMass. Uh, you, you ask any UMass fan about kickers, and they'll have a, a five-hour presentation ready for you on all the horrors of, of the kicking game that has wrought upon UMass uh, in recent years. Uh, they have, a, I think, I think the guy that's going to end up winning the job for them is Cooper Garcia, who really kind of separated himself with his consistency at the end of last season. Uh, but again, this is one of those things that Mark Whipple never really determined who the starter was. It's still an open competition, really, between Cooper Garcia and Mike Caggiano uh, in, in the kicking game. But, but Cooper Garcia kind of really impressed me last year with his consistency and the fact that he really didn't have any bad kicks. Mike Caggiano had a couple of kicks that you kind of sat there and you're like, I don't know where that came from. You know, he's, he's the type of kicker that will hit from 40 yards and it's pure straight and then – will try a 27-yard field goal, and he'll just knock it off the right upright. And you're like, you don't know where that where the type of kick came from. <laughs> in the punting game, uh, they had a freshman last year in George Georgopoulos, who very strong leg, but not necessarily a very accurate leg. And that's one of the things I saw in spring practice was the fact that he was a lot more consistent with his accuracy. And maybe that meant kind of taking some, some of the power away from him. But I think he learned a lot after last season. He definitely looks stronger and more uh, able to really kind of use his leg as a weapon uh, in the punting game. Josh, can't thank you enough. Thanks for coming on and giving us a little bit of a preview, and uh, we'll catch up with you when the game's a little closer. All right, sounds good. I look forward to talking to you guys in November. Thanks, Josh. There you go. That's uh, Josh Walfish from the Daily Hampshire Gazette coming on, giving us a little preview of the UMass Miniman. It's always great to get an in-depth understanding of a game that's coming up. We should have asked him about the uh, hockey game that's tonight. Oh, what were we thinking? We should have asked him about but that. But we did find out they, you know, Garcia they, got, has had a And Garciano. They've got some special teams. Yeah. couple of guys to look at on the – they've got more hope at the place kicking than the Chicago Bears. It's but. the most – Underrated, you know, nobody talks about it. I just wanted to get that out there and see what we're going to look forward to from the kicking game. We we have a guy who used to be on staff who loves talking about it. Uh, all right, we'll get to more coming up next. Stay tuned. Tim Lacombe in for Gordon, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Back to the street where we began Feeling as good as long so uh, with a new coach, kind of a, a new mindset, you talked a little bit about the offense and the defense. I'm a big special teams guy. Uh, any idea what the, the special teams looks like? They got a kicker, they got a punter. I mean, this game is five months out. You know, let's talk, let's get deep into this thing. What about punting? I mean, how, I mean, how in punting, how is there, we just see the guy kick the ball. What details go into punting? In situational football. I don't even know where we're at. We're talking about punting. Let's go on to something else. <laughs> Tim Lacombe and AJ Salveson, they're going to get to the bottom of that punting situation. I tell you what. There's a punter. There's a kicker. 
That guy gave uh, in. I would assume you have a punter and a kicker. Tell us about him. <laughs> what do J- they do? We had, Josh, to ask, uh, he had to ask something, poor guy. Well, Josh Walfish joined us, and I'll tell you what. He had a thorough breakdown on the special team situation for the UMass Minutemen. I actually looked up Garcia. On, Did you? Uh, yeah. Can he play? He looks to be a, a really solid guy. He's got a great leg. Let me guess. High school soccer player? Yeah. 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 I'll tell you what. Independence, and we thank Josh for coming on, and it's tough to make UMass football all that He gave you something about the up-tempo. They're going to try to go Offensive up. line. Yeah, yeah, we got we got something from the interview. But it is, as Tim Lacombe put, five months away. It is. Uh, and it is UMass. It, and there's a punter and a kicker. It's the downside of independence for for BYU football, and and I've I've been a vocal advocate that I think they should go back to the Mountain West Conference. I, I really do. I think it would be more interesting. I think they could still play the relevant non conference games that they play instead of six P five teams, which they're not actually playing. They play four instead, and then you have all the built in stuff with Boise State and Utah State. I just I I'm an advocate of that because it's just really tough to drum up juice around UMass, not just because they're not a historically great football program, but they're on the other side of the country. And BYU and UMass really don't have all that much in common, let alone history. And they've even played a couple of times, and we're still kind of chuckling about the thought of, of BYU playing UMass. Who's your favorite punter of all time? Reggie Roby, obviously. Roby? Yeah, I had his card that was when a Ray I was a guy. Kid. Really? Yeah. I don't remember Ray Guy. You and Gordon Monson. Yeah, you and Gordon could have a, a nice convo about... What about Ray Guy? <laughs> I mean, Ray Guy was good. <laughs> he was very good. He had great power. I love all the Gordon impressions coming out of the woodwork these days. Yours is good, too. Britain's isn't bad. Austin's is good. I remember Ray, Ray Guy, by the way. I, I taught him everything he knows about punting. I, now, I'll tell you, Jake, 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 I'll tell you, I, I, I punted a few times, if you know what I mean. <laughs> give me a break. Come on, Austin. Give this me a, is ridiculous. Give me now. a break. We're talking uh, about punting. Were you, you were coaching the game, right, when, uh, when Jim Boylan went after Gordon? Yes. The ball didn't go in the hoop, that, that whole thing? Give me a break, Jim. I was sitting right next to Gordon. Don't come here. <laughs> Don't come here every, every four, every once, once a year. I'm not going to take, take that questions. from you. <laughs> come on. Show some class, coach. <laughs> <laughs> that was so awesome. It was honestly like the best day of my life. And then when Jim finally left, show up. the room was just silent. Lights of you to show up. <laughs> Don't come here every two years and ask me that question. Remember, I, I, I'll ask the questions if I want you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Jim would grab the mic. You want to talk about a surreal? The Go Utes. Go Utes! <laughs> there's, a, there's an online YouTube tribute to that and uh, to the, all the great Jim Boylan moments. And when he grabs the mic, they, they were honoring past teams. And so Tom Chambers is in the screen. And so he's standing right behind Jim when he yells. You know? so, yeah. <laughs> and you just see Chambers look down like, what is going on? What just happened? I am shocked that he's a head coach in the NBA. I think he's a, I actually think he's a really good coach. Uh, you know, he, his teams were hard-nosed and tough, but I just am surprised that the, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of the shtick, you know? Uh, yeah. You know, like the way he handled the whole issue when he first got to Chicago and wanted to be transparent with the media and have all these meetings. And it's just interesting. 
Well, the players were revolting on him there for a moment. Yeah, I can. I and in hearing about, you know, I knew I knew the guys who worked on that staff, and it was. I'm going to talk about a full time job now. They they play, and typically after a game, you go home and everybody goes their separate ways, and you watch film. You come back in the morning fresh and talk it through. But he he would keep them there all night long. Hmm. It was so interesting. All right. We'll have more of the big show coming up next. Stay tuned. Tim Lacombe in for Gordon Monson, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Wrapping up a big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, Tim Lacombe, nice enough to sit in once again for Gordon today. And can't thank you enough for that, Tim. It's been fun. It's been really fun. I, I would imagine... Listeners are saying, please get home, Gordon. We're tired of hearing this guy, but I've had a good time. Uh, nobody's saying that out there. We need we need Gordon relaxed. And, where is? Do we know where he is? Uh, we do, but he's usually very mysterious about he, where he goes, like somebody's going to, to stalk him. No, it's because... No, that's not why. It's because he wants to have this uh, fake persona as an every guy that he drives. He doesn't like us talking about what he drives because he wants to be thought of as this humble... Uh, everyday Joe. So, so he's he wants, camping at that Yellowstone. Doesn't, that right. doesn't hire gardeners and doesn't have <laughs> people that snow blow his yard for him and knows where the bread is located in his house and doesn't vacation to exotic ends of the earth for five, thousands of dollars. Five-star resorts where he's being pampered. Yeah. Well, he knows he's fooling nobody, right? Well, he doesn't know that, but he is fooling nobody. He is fooling absolutely zero people. He hasn't and, mowed a lawn in 47 years. And hey, good on I mowed him. my lawn yesterday. Hey! I'm a man of the people. Good You're an you. everyday Joe. And edged it even. You know... It, I really hate my trimmer. I need to get a new trimmer. Oh, trimmers are the bane of my existence. They're Trying the to get those things fed and then the line breaks. Oh, it's awful. If I could afford it, I'd consider hiring somebody to do my lawn just for that reason alone. Yeah. I can mow. I love mowing. Throw in the headphones. Yeah. Go off in my own little world for a half an hour. That's pretty sweet. Trimming sucks. Yeah, it does. The worst. And then I always gouge it. Oh, yeah. And it's it too close. It looks bad <laughs> for a couple of days. My wife is like, please don't try. I'll do the trimming, man. You can't keep oh, a straight Oh, you line. should just say yes. Say yes to that one. Be That's like, oh, true. yeah, great, great idea. Yeah, I got to do something do that. around the house. <laughs> uh, I, Austin and I do all of the housework. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on this. <laughs> Let's not go Somewhere there. Somewhere my wife is, is mad at that. She's I try. something. I, I, I do what I can. I do as much as I can. She works, too. I got I to gotta do my thing. But if she offered to trim the lawn, I'd say yes. Yeah, for sure. In a heartbeat. I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, Monson does none of that. And he should he should own it. He shouldn't hide from it, right? Well, hopefully he's having a great time wherever he is. Hopefully it's raining. <laughs> All right. I love this guy. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow on The Big Show. We're going to be hanging out at the warehouse in Salt Lake City. So make sure and uh, come by and join us. Uh, big thanks to Chris Mannix, who joined us. Thanks to Austin, executive producer of The Big Show. Oh, thanks to John Walfish. Josh, excuse me, Walfish, covers UMass for the Daily Hampshire Gazette. We'll talk to you tomorrow on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 the zone.